All right, well, good morning, Docs Church. Guys, uh, go ahead, grab your Bibles, and uh, find your way to Ephesians chapter 4, okay? And as you get there, if you're new and we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Rob. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to have you part of Docs today. If we haven't had a chance to meet, man, I'd love to, to meet you. So before you head out, come grab me, say hi, introduce yourself, and, and I would love that. But today, guys, we are in the midst of a teaching series that we started last week that we have titled Six Marks. And so what we're doing throughout this series is we're taking six weeks really kind of just looking at the portrait of a disciple and really just kind of asking this question. As we look at this six marks, we're asking the question of this, what does a Christian actually look like? Because if you ask a bunch of people like what the Christian life is about, what the church is about, you might get a bunch of different answers. Like it's very cloudy, it's very foggy, but we're really just kind of looking at the Bible saying, what is the portrait of a disciple? And as we lean into this, Lord willing, it's going to yield like a lot of clarity of what it looks like for us to actually walk with Jesus in the everyday stuff of our lives while also giving us like a pathway to spiritual maturity. And this is what we're all about here at Doxa, okay? Believe it or not, like our goal is to not put on some like great events with awesome worship and kind of mediocre teaching to grow attendance here, okay? But our goal is simply to be a greenhouse that grows disciples. This is what it's all about. This is like the biblical view of the Christian life, that our ultimate goal is to be a family who, as you look at these six marks, that we don't just like know this, but we embrace this and actually live this out, giving glory to God, finding joy and peace and contentment and purpose in our lives while adding value, hope, help, and salvation to the people all around us, all throughout the world, who God loves, just like our Jesus did. And last week, you know, we looked at this first mark of being a worshiper. As we considered this, we went to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. We looked at the account of these two women that were friends of Jesus, Martha and Mary, and we ended last week with a prayer that God would help us to be a church family that would have Martha's heart, or Mary's heart, but Martha's hands. That we would love God first and foremost above anything and everything in our world, but then we would actually get to work in our lives seeking to live just like Jesus through his words, works, and ways. This is in fact really just the Christian life. And today is going to be kind of like an overflow from being a worshiper. That when we are a worshiper, it doesn't just stay in our mouths and we sing, but it goes to our heart and changes everything about who we are and we're going to look at this idea that a disciple is actually a becomer. Okay, and to explain this, I want to set up our section today in Ephesians chapter 4, kind of theologically. If you're familiar with the Bible, you'll, you'll see the Apostle Paul who wrote the book of Ephesians along with 12 other letters throughout the New Testament. As he speaks of the Christian life, he oftentimes does it in three ways. He talks about it in the terms of past, present, in future. And theologically, we use the words justification, sanctification, and glorification. And so I just want to spend just a minute helping us to understand these concepts. And this is not like me trying to kind of nerd out on theology to teach us some big words so we can all walk out of here being like, wow, I'm really spiritually mature. I know some big theological terms. Because it's not that it, we need to talk about this stuff. All right, because the foundation of our lives is our theology with God, and it helps us to understand how we relate to him in the everyday stuff of life as we journey home to him. But the term justification, justification really just answers a massive question in our world today, and it's this. How can we, as sinful, imperfect people, stand before a perfect and holy God and expect anything 
but the condemnation of hell. And this is what so many people wonder. Like, how do I get to heaven with God? What's it going to take? Like, God is perfect. I'm not. How's it all going to shake out? How's it going to work? And the answer, which is found in every chapter of every book of your Bible, is it's Jesus. That Jesus is God who entered human history. He lived a life without sin. He died for the penalty of our sin, and he rose for our salvation. And as a result of this, if we trust in Jesus putting our faith in him as the God who saves us, he justifies us, meaning that he takes my sin, he gives me his righteousness, and he allows me to be with God, escaping the eternal reality of hell. All right, the great reformer, Martin Luther, he called this the great exchange. And this is really the good news of the gospel that our entire church is all about. This is what every song we sing is about. This is what about every sermon that we talk about is about. This is what our doxa kids are learning. This is permeating the entire existence of our church. It's the gospel. And this is such good news that because what this means is that my justification before God is not predicated upon my good works, but it's predicated on the works of Jesus. All right, Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, that to be justified, to be forgiven of sin and made right with God, it's not by anything that we do by being a good, moral, religious, philanthropic person, but rather it comes through faith in Jesus, that righteousness, salvation, forgiveness of sin, all of that is really just a gift. And so when it comes to justification, I need you to understand this, Jesus does all the work. All right, we don't do anything to be justified. We simply believe in the identity and the activity of Jesus, and through faith, he just justifies us. And this is how we become a Christian. Jesus does all the work. And if you've been around doxa for any amount of time, you've, you've learned this. You hear this all the time. And many of you, you've come to Jesus, you've put your faith in Jesus, and throughout the life of our church, we've been able to celebrate this with a lot of different baptisms, but this is what it all, it's all about. It's justification through faith, and this is what every single person in this world needs above everything. It's to be justified before God because of our sin. Now, that's how Paul thinks about it in the past. In the future, all right, Paul says that we're gonna be glorified. Many people kind of tend to talk about it in terms of like, we go to heaven. They use that language. But glorification is really just this, okay? That just like Jesus rose from death and was given a new glorified body, one day when Jesus comes again, which we, if you remember back to Daniel, we talked a lot about this with his prophetic visions. Jesus will, in fact, come back again, establish the kingdom of God here on earth. But just as Jesus rose from death, we will rise from death, we will get perfect bodies, and we will live eternally with God in his presence, in his glory. All right, this is glorification. And that too, it's effortless. All right, that Jesus does all the work. And so glorification and justification, think of it as kind of like the bookends to the Christian life. That Jesus justifies us, and one day Jesus will glorify us. Now, here's the thing. All right, this is how many people tend to think of the Christian life. You come to Jesus, you find forgiveness and salvation, and then eventually we're gonna die and we'll be with God forever in heaven. But I, want you, I need you to understand this. This is so important to understanding what we're gonna talk about today in Ephesians chapter four. That's just the bookends. In the middle of justification and glorification is the life that we live in the present. And this is all about sanctification. And the truth is, is that sanctification involves work for us. All right, see, sanctification is where we live our daily lives. 
We repent of our sin, we learn, we grow, we change, we mature, we become more and more like Jesus who saved us. And this all takes effort on our part. And so Paul says, Jesus does all the work for our justification and our glorification, but to grow with God. And and Christian, I wanna talk to you about this, okay? Because some of you, you maybe are so frustrated, you're so bummed out, you're not seeing any traction in your life with God, in your spiritual walk. Like, you need to understand that to grow with God, to grow in spiritual maturity, becoming like Jesus, it is Jesus' work, but it's us working with him throughout our daily lives. And this is what Paul talks about in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, where he talks about the idea of like training ourselves for godliness. This is sanctification. It's God working in us and on us and through us. And as God is working, we simply just join in this work. And this is how we grow and how we mature as Christians, becoming more like Jesus. And this is what Paul is going to help us with today, okay? He's going to give us an instructive path for growing in godliness, doing the work of sanctification, which is what a becomer is all about. But as we think about this, guys, here's what I need you to know, all right? And if you're a note taker, write this down. If not, just lock it in your head. You can't drift into godliness. You can't. The stream is simply against us. Sin is very real in all of our lives, no matter how godly you think you are, and no amount of church attendance and all of that stuff, like you're not just gonna drift into godliness by sitting on your couch. But it takes effort. That growing in godliness and becoming more like Jesus, it takes us working alongside of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so we're in Ephesians chapter four and we're gonna start in verse 17. And the first thing that Paul is gonna talk to us about in order to help us understand this idea of being a becomer is to tell us who we are. And as, he, and as he talks about this, he says that there is an old you and a new you. And he starts off by talking about the old you. So Christian, this is the old you. Now, I'll, I'll mention this before I read this. This is the hard part, okay, that if you're, if you're not a Christian, like I love that you're here. Guys, it was not that long ago that I was not a Christian and I was sitting in a seat like you are right now. I love that you're here. It's, it's one of my highest honors to teach you the Bible. But you need to know as he's talking about the old you, If you're not a Christian, this is just you. But if you've put your faith in Jesus, all right, instantaneously, you have a new nature and an old you. But here's what God says about the old you. Ephesians 4, verse 17. Paul says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Now I'll pause there, okay, because in the Bible, the Gentiles are the people who don't know God. All right, they don't love God, they don't acknowledge God, they're not following God, they don't worship God. And because of this, they're not filled with the Spirit of God and don't have a relationship with God. These are the Gentiles as we see throughout the Scriptures. And what Paul is saying here is that if you've come to Jesus in faith and you've been forgiven of your sin, you've been made new, you can't walk as Gentiles do anymore. That if you're a Christian, you can't live as though you don't know God. And throughout Ephesians, all right, we get this imagery of walking, that if you read Ephesians chapter, chapters one through three, Paul t- spends a lot of time talking about all that Jesus has done. And then he kind of pivots a little bit in four, five, and six, these chapters, and he talks a lot about how it is that we walk and live in light of the truths of who Jesus is and what he has done. And so I just want you to picture it like this, okay? We're all on this walk. It's a walk called life. 
And before we come to God, we are in fact walking away from him towards sin. That we're walking in a way that really just distances ourselves from God and as time goes on, we kind of just get further and further away and upon death, we will be eternally separated from God. This is what sin does. Sin just separates us from God and sin is anything that God is not. And what Paul says is this, is that we're walking away from God due to sin in our life, that there is something that we all have in common here. All right, we all have different preferences and opinions and perspectives, but we all have something in common, is that we, we are all sinful by nature and choice, every single one of us. When you begin to understand sin in our world, it makes a lot more sense of the life that we live, and it makes a lot more sense of who you are and why God is so great and why we celebrate Jesus. But when we come to Jesus in faith, God saves us, he takes our sin, he justifies us, he makes us new, and as a result of that, our lives change because it's our identity. All right, I want you to listen to how Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 5.17, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. So when we think about this idea of being a becomer, we become because this is who we are that we have been given a new life, and this new life yields a new way of living, that we can't walk in the same direction anymore, that things change because you're new. You just have a completely different identity which pushes you to have a different trajectory of your life. And this is the natural result of putting our faith in Jesus. We kind of just stop walking away from God, and we turn, we repent, we turn, and we walk towards him. It's the natural result, and I've used this before, but I think of it like this, guys. If a fire is burning in a fireplace, the natural result is gonna be smoke coming out of the chimney. And so it is with our walk with God. When we put our faith in Jesus, the fire of faith is lit. And the smoke that comes out from our life is new life. It's, it's, it's a changed way of living. It's, it's good, godly, Jesus-loving works. We change. It's a natural result. It's a cause and effect thing. And I need you to understand this, guys. You know, as we talk about life change, this is not religion, right? If you need to be reminded of that, go back to last week. We, we kind of juxtapose grace and religion, but this is not religion. This is not like I come, came to Jesus in faith, he saved me, and so now I have to change the way that I live to be sure that I stay good with God and that he keeps loving me. Some of you guys grew up in churches like that and you had pastors tell you that. That's not it, that's not in the Bible. See, be, Christianity, it's not about behavior modification. It's all about heart transformation. It's not about us like just trying really hard to change our lives and to live in a different way to be right with God, but it's about God making you new giving you a new nature, new desires, new passions, new vision for life with him. And through the presence and the power of his Holy Spirit, we change. Have you guys experienced this in your life? You come to Jesus, and all of a sudden, the things that your life was obsessed with, they're still there, but just like it's a radical shift. When we experience the love and the grace of God, that love and that grace makes us new. This is the cause and it causes us, we, we start to see Jesus and we live like him. It just makes us new. This is the heart of a becomer. And this is what Paul talks about. Right? If you remember Romans chapter 8, verse 29, Paul talks about the goal of the Christian life is to be conformed to the image of Jesus. 
It's this language of being a becomer. I mean, John talks about this in 1 John 2, 6, that whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. If there's a cause of grace in our life, it will overflow in the effect of life change by being a becomer. Now, to be clear, all right, the Christian life is not about perfection, but it's about progression. Some of you guys, you live under the weight of perfection. You hear a message like this and you're tempted to think, okay, well, I gotta be perfect like Jesus. Guys, none of us are gonna be perfect this side of eternity. The Christian life is not about perfection, it's about progression. It's us taking a step towards Jesus every day. And if you're anything like me, sometimes it feels like you're taking three steps forward and then two steps back. But we're progressing towards who God has created us to be, to become like him. This is my story. As when I, when I became a, a Christian my senior year in college, many of my friends were just so confused. And I, and I can't explain it except for the words of Scripture, but my life was just radically altered. And I know that some of your stories are like this. And it wasn't due to me just like really just white-knuckling it and trying hard to be a better person, but the newness that God brought about in my life, it just changed everything about me that I went from being consumed from finding the next high and the next girl to just wanting to spend time with Jesus, to love Jesus, to follow Jesus. My life was just radically changed. This is what the grace of God does. And for some of us, we're gonna experience like a radical immediate change and you're gonna feel this and God's gonna take it. He did this, he took like addictions from me like almost overnight and he can do that. The power of God is real like that. Others of us, we're gonna come to Jesus and it's gonna be a long walk. We're gonna be obeying him and loving him and he's gonna change us over time. This is what he does. And so Paul's saying, if you're a Christian, you can't walk and live like the non-Christians around you because that's not who you actually are. Your life is different because of Jesus. And I'll pause and say, guys, I think this is a really good place for reflection. All right, for those of you who are Christians, I mean, ask yourself, has your life changed since you put your faith in Jesus? Are you still walking the path that you used to walk? And maybe you talk about this in connection group this week. I mean, how have you seen God change you or changing you as you've walked with him? Talk about this. Talk about this with your spouse. Talk about this with your kids. Talk about this in your connection groups. This is a a good place to start. Now, if you look back, Paul also says, of walking like the Gentiles. In verse 17, look, he says they walk in the futility of their minds. And and I'll just pause, guys, and just acknowledge that I think this stuff can be pretty offensive, right? I mean, do you ever stop and just consider what you're reading in the Bible? Like sometimes you're like, really? Okay. But this can be offensive because Paul is basically saying that these people's heads are broken and they're not thinking right. And he's not saying that before Jesus we're stupid, but what he's saying is that we're supposed to think God's thoughts after him, but if we don't know God, we're not connected with God, we're not filled with the spirit of God, and we don't have the mind of God, and our thinking is futile. Okay, it's not, it's not that we're dumb, it's just that we're wrong. That apart from God, our thinking about life, ourselves, eternity is just wrong. And we can have perspectives and hypotheses and all of these different things, but we know that God speaks through this word. And we know this because Jesus rose from the dead and validated and vindicated all of his claims of this to be God's word. And so we go to his word and we look for what is true about life. And again, 
as you think about like the futility of your mind language, you could be thinking like this is offensive. And maybe you're getting a better picture of why Jesus was killed, why Paul was killed. I mean, Paul gets his head cut off for talking about stuff like this. Because we live in a world where people don't want to hear this. I mean, we like to hear the stuff like everything you're doing is totally fine. It's okay. You want to live like that? Go for it. You do you. It's all good. We like to hear that. People like to hear that the way that we live is perfectly fine and God agrees with everything about our lives. That's the stuff that we like to hear. But then a guy like Paul shows up and says, actually, your mind is not thinking God's thoughts and your thoughts are futile. And naturally, people just get upset. And even to this day, people don't like to hear this. We get upset when we are told that what we're doing is wrong because we like to be our own authority. We don't like to have any authority over us, but God is, he's king. And we live underneath the authority of the Bible. We don't have the the privilege of opening this up and saying, well, this is what I think. I know what it says, but that doesn't make sense in our world today. We take it and we just say, this is our position. Under God, he is king. And we don't do it aggressively or mean, but we just simply say in love and grace, just like Jesus, that's wrong. And some of us here, we need to have an introspective look into our life and really just soften our hearts to hear God saying, like, maybe there's something wrong. We should pray at the end of Psalm 139, search me, O God. Show me any grievous way in me and see if we're humble enough to actually meet God in that moment and ask him for his power to change. Now look at verse 18. All right, Paul goes on to say this, speaking of the old you before Jesus, that they are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. So let me ask you this, okay? Guys, what do you see in the dark? Not a trick question, wake up, nothing, right? Unless you're a special ops guy or a hunter with infrared goggles, you don't see anything in the dark. And in the dark, you may think that you see some things, but you really can't see anything, even what's right in front of you. And what Paul is saying is that we are like that when we're walking away from Jesus when we're living apart from Jesus and not connected to the life of God, our thinking is futile and our understanding is dark. And some people will say like, well, I see it this way. Or I like to think of it like this. This is my way of viewing that. And I I want you just to say, I want to say to you guys that this is what people in the dark say. Because it's not about what we see. It's about how God sees it. We live under his authority. And guys, I've lived there. Like, this is not me throwing stones from, like, a holy pedestal up here or anything like that. But this is just saying, like, gosh, this is like a tension in my life, right? I know Jesus is king. And sometimes I'd like to usurp his authority and be like, well, I, th- I view it like this. And we all do that. I mean, this is, this is sin. But this very much used to be me. See, when you're in the dark as to who Jesus is, you're not seeing clearly. You don't understand because it's dark. You don't know who God is, and ultimately, you don't know who you are. And when you don't know who you are, you don't know what to do. And life is extremely confusing and very difficult. And the truth is, guys, I spent years ruining my life as I walked in the dark, just running away from God, doing my own thing. And for much of that time, I wasn't in complete conscious rebellion as I didn't know anything about God. I never really saw a Bible. I didn't know any really Christians. But when I became a Christian and started learning about him and understanding the Bible, I spent years just ignoring all of that and living however I wanted, very much in the dark. 
And Paul says, if you look back to verse 18, that when we're in the dark, we're actually alienated from the life of God. And that just means that we're separated from him. And it's not just because of the way that we think and a lack of information about who he is, but it's also due to our posture towards God. And what I mean by that, guys, is that some people have hard hearts towards God. And the heart is really just the center of who you are. And Paul says in verse 18 that before faith, we're alienated from the life of God due to their hardness of hearts. And so let me just ask you this, okay? Do you have a hard heart or a soft heart? I mean, where are you at? And guys, if you don't know, maybe just look to your spouse, right? She'll tell you. But do you have a, do you have a hard heart or a soft heart? A heart that's tender towards God hears his truths and says, teach me the truth. I want to change. I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to walk towards you. I want to become into the man or woman that you've made me to be. I want to become like Jesus. A soft heart says it's not really about me, but it's all about you. This is a soft heart. Conversely, a hard heart says no. It's not what you want. It's what I want. It's not what you think, it's what I think. I don't need to change, I don't need to grow, I don't need to listen, I don't need to do anything. You got it wrong, I know what's right. Guys, that's a hard heart. And hard-hearted people tend to be very resistant and critical and negative. And maybe you've known people like this. And if you have known this or you've walked this or you're currently walking, you've seen the progression here. That this posture actually leads somewhere. That doesn't just stop with having a hard heart, but Paul actually points it out here, if you look at verse 19, that they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So Paul says people become calloused. And and for some of you, you, I don't know if you don't know what a callous is, but really just a callous, you know, you have them if if you play an instrument, you work with your hands a lot. But a callous forms essentially by prolonged pressure on a certain specific point. And as a callus forms, all right, what used to hurt, hear this, what used to hurt, all of a sudden, it doesn't hurt anymore because it's become calloused. You know, I experienced this when I first started working out for football in, in high school. All right, the first couple times I, I worked out, I remember like the first week, like blisters on my hands, blood, it just hurt really, really bad. But over time, I just kept doing it, and now it just doesn't bother me at all anymore. Don't even think about it. Guys, this is the same way with our walk with God. You know, some people say, you know, when I started doing that thing, it really bothered me. But it doesn't really bother me anymore. Other people will say, you know, when I started doing that, you know, I started, I felt really guilty about that thing. But now maybe God's okay with it because I don't feel guilty anymore. Have you been there? Where you kind of talk yourself into like, I just, I'm used to this now. I don't feel bad about this anymore. Maybe God's okay with it because I don't feel anything. Guys, I want you to know that's not it. It's not that God's okay with it. It's that you've developed a callus. You've become dead. I mean, a callus is really just essentially a collection of dead skin cells. And for some, you know, the first time that you looked at pornography, you felt like really convicted. You felt like, man, this isn't right. This, you know, and, and you felt something. But as you went on and you just kept doing it, it doesn't really bother you anymore. 
Others of you, the first time that you started doing something like illegal, it, you felt something, but you kept walking in it, you kept doing it, and now you don't even think about it anymore. Some people, like the first time that you lied, you stole, you cheated, you did something deceptive, you felt bad, but as you continued to walk in that, it almost feels right. And you start to think, well, maybe it's not that big of a deal. Maybe God doesn't care because I don't feel bad anymore because I need you to understand that he does care. It is a big deal. We are just calloused. And this happens to every single one of us. And because you're calloused, you kind of just say, well, that's just kind of how it is. But look what Paul says in verse 19. You just give yourself up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Guys, and, and this is so sad if you've ever seen this. My time in, in ministry, like I've just seen people live this way. And what tends to happen is this, is that Christians, they, they know God. They start living in a way where they become callous. They, they're falling into sin. They begin to see what they're doing they start to feel bad about it, and so they try to then distance themselves from God and God's people and run away and live in a way that they believe that God doesn't even really exist. And when we do that, we become completely callous and just fall into sin more and just suppress the truth of God. But this doesn't change the truth of God. But people just try to ignore it. And this is so sad because these people have been made new through Jesus set free from the effects of sin, but they're stuck in their old self. And they're not experiencing the abundant life that Jesus talks about because they're stuck in their old way of living, their old self. They're having this identity crisis. They're made new, but they're living the old way. You know, it's kind of like Simba in The Lion King. Do you remember that? Right, Simba is this king, but he doesn't even know it. And so he's living in a way, and then Mufasa shows up, and he's like, Simba, right? And he's just like, remember who you are. That was pretty good. But remember who you are. He was having this identity crisis. He was king, but he wasn't acting like it. And he needed to remember who he was. He needed to have his father talk to him. There's so many Christians in here that this is what we need. And Paul, I think, is doing the same thing that Mufasa did with Simba. Because if you look to verse 20, he says, but this is not the way you learn Christ. He says, this is the old you apart from Jesus this is not the new you that is with Jesus. It's all about identity. I want you to listen to this. There's a well-known rabbi named Abraham Heschel, and he once said, we become and do what we think of ourselves, that what determines one's being is the image that one adopts. Guys, what you think about you affects who you are so much and how you live. So Christian, I'll ask you, do you see yourself as made new through Jesus? Or do you still view yourself as the old you, the old self? And I know that some of you who are, who are Christians, you know that the way that you're living is, is, is not who God made you to be. It's not who Jesus saved you to be. And maybe today is really just a wake-up call for all of us to step into our true identity as new with Jesus and start living in a way where we become who we are actually created to be. But hear this, and this is so significant, guys. I don't want you walking out of here thinking, okay, I just need to white knuckle it and change everything about me that's bad. This is not just about changing what you do, because I need you to understand you can change the things you do, but only can Jesus can change who you are. 
This is not about like moralistic behaviorism. This is about Jesus making you new, giving you a new heart, a soft heart, an obedient heart to follow him. And that once you are new, this will change. The fire has been lit and this will change everything about you. Look how Paul puts it in verse 21. Assuming that you have heard about him, he's talking about Jesus, and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, that none of us are born new, that we're born with an old nature, a sinful nature that separates us from God, but we're reborn through faith in Jesus. This is John chapter three, being talking about being born again. And when this happens, look what he says in verses 22 and 23. Put off the old, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. That when we come to Jesus, he makes us new, we sell off the old life. That wrong way of thinking, that darkened vision, that life that's in opposition to who God is, and we, verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. He says that change in transformation in becoming like Jesus, it actually starts in your mind with how you think. He says you need to be renewed who you are, that you're not that guy anymore, you're not that girl anymore, but you're a child of the king, that God is your father, he has made you new, and if you look, he says, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And there is the key to living as a becomer. Highlight it, circle it, underline it in your Bible, whatever you gotta do, those five little words, put on the new self. And when the Bible talks about this, all right, we're, we're not talking about like a new improved you, we're talking about a totally, completely, radically new you. This idea of being born again, that if you're in Christ, you are genuinely new, you're born again. You're not perfect as God is still gonna work on you throughout your life, but your identity is that of a new person. And Paul says this new person is gonna be a person who looks like and lives like Jesus. And this doesn't happen immediately, but it's a process of becoming by putting on the new self. This is the work of sanctification. And this isn't a checklist thing. Any, any people who like checklists, you have a list, you like to check it off, cross it off, this is not a checklist thing. This is every day of our life until we meet Jesus face to face in glory. It's a regular rhythm of putting on the new self. It's day by day making a choice to live for God by reminding our, of ourselves of who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and who he has made us. This active decision when you wake up in the morning to put on the new self, the mind of Christ, where we worship him for all he is, for all that he's done. And when we do that, we're not swept away by winds of culture that teach us to live a certain way and to do certain things, but we're actually having the mind of Christ as a new person, being a becomer. Now, I need to land the plane. You know, I think, really, as I've thought about this, looking at this, this idea of becoming it's, it's really not that difficult to understand why this is a big deal, the natural result, the cause and effect, but the big question that I've been asking is how, right? I mean, like, how do I do this? How do I actually become more like Jesus? How do I produce this result? There's good news and bad news. One, you can't produce this, but two, you can do stuff to put you in a place where the Holy Spirit of God can meet you and produce this. And so I don't want to be just informational, but I want to be helpful and practical. So look at this equation. I want you to write this equation down. This is the way that I think about this. Because when we talk about being a becomer, when we talk about sanctification, and honestly, we use this, Lisa and I, when we meet with couples, when we talk about transformation in marriages, this goes beyond what I'm talking about today. I'd love to talk to you more. Don't have time. But 
Time plus effort plus grace equals transformation. And so when we talk about time, I want you to know that growing in godliness, being a becomer, guys, this takes time. The pastor theologian Eugene Peterson spoke of the Christian life by saying it's a long obedience in the same direction. It's daily walking with Jesus through the timeline of our lives every day. It takes time. And so in our instant gratification culture, guys, sanctification, godliness, becoming like Jesus is not going to be microwave. It's going to be crockpot. We're going to sit. We're going to walk with Jesus intentionally. And this goes with effort. It's time, but it's not just time eating Cheetos, right? It's time plus effort. It's choosing today to do that which will produce the effects that I want to see tomorrow. See, many Christians don't grow in godliness and don't grow in closeness with God because we don't make effort to do that. We don't make any effort. And then there's grace. Time plus effort plus grace. This is just to acknowledge that I will never be perfect this side of eternity. And so when I stumble, when I sin, I just stop and I bring it to God and I remind myself of the gospel of Jesus that if I confess my sin, he is faithful to forgive me. And there is grace for that. And I don't need to run from God when I mess up and when I screw up, but I can actually run to God and find forgiveness because he's a loving father, amen? Time plus effort plus grace, this leads to transformation where we become becomers. And so this effort, let me just end with giving you three ways to exert effort for the sake of godliness, to become. And I can say for certain that if we all take these things that I'm gonna share and implement them into our lives, we'll not only grow with God and experience God to a heightened degree, but we will in fact put off the old self and live in our new selves and become more like Jesus. And the first two, if you've been around the church, you've heard these. It's the Sunday school thing that I am gonna keep beating the drum on as long as I am up here teaching the Bible. But the first way to put on the new self is read your Bible, okay? Like actually do it. Like so many of us are perplexed about why we can't fight temptation and grow in godliness. But I would ask you, like, when's the last time you read your Bible? When's the last time you read God's words to you? This is such a big part of being a becomer and living new. I was just talking to a guy the other day who's struggling looking at porn, and he really wants to stop, but he can't quite do it. And I told him, I'm like, man, you got to read your Bible. And he's like, I don't think that's going to help me. And I was just like, bro, read your Bible and try and look at porn while you're looking or you're thinking about Jesus, okay? It's not going to be quite as fun, okay? I was talking to a girl the other day. She's been beat down in life, treated terribly by pathetic men, has such a poor view of herself, just beaten down, and causing her to live in a destructive way. We sat down and opened the Bible together. And I'm like, let's not listen to the voices of these people surrounding you. Let's listen to the voice of the Father. And she started reading how she is loved and chosen and adopted and created. And it's changing her. Because this is, this is not just a human book. This is a book that God wrote. And he moves through this. Paul talks about this to his letter in Timothy. 
It says this is breathed out by God. It's profitable to help us, to change us, to convict us, that the Spirit of God is alive and well, and God speaks to us, and there's power in his words. This is the Bible. And if you don't know where to start, guys, we want to help you. We've been handing out, like, reading plans. Grab one of those on your way out and just start reading the Bible. Number two, get in gospel community. Get in gospel community. The author of Hebrews in Hebrews 10 talks about don't neglect meeting with each other, but meet with each other to encourage each other. Guys, we're not meant to do life alone. And part of living new, part of learning to become a becomer is to be surrounded by people who are doing that same thing with you. We need gospel community, people to encourage us, to call us out, to help us, to push us forward. We need, this is why we have connection groups. Connection groups is not just like a strategy to gather more people and more buy-in, but it's for discipleship because we all need this. And when we don't, we kind of just stray. I, was, I literally just talked to a guy uh, Friday. I was uh, a guy that was in part of the college ministry that I haven't talked to for 10 years. He was really following Jesus, met Jesus in college, was discipling him, he was in my small group, and then he moved and left, and I had lost touch with him, but he called me out of the blue and was like, I just need some help. He's like, ever since I left Bowling Green, I've had no Christian friends, and I've gone wild. I've shipwrecked my life, and he's like, I'm calling you because you're the only guy right now that I know is following Jesus, and I just need some community because that's where I thrive. We need that type of community. And then the third thing, I don't know how to say this one, and so this sound bite might, if someone listens to it, it's gonna be weird. Here's what you need to do. You need to read your Bible, you need to get in community, and then third, you need to die. This is part, amen. <laughs> amen? Yes. You need to die. Because this is the whole paradox of the Christian life. We're all taught, like, you know, the Christian life is about thriving and growing and living. But yes, but the whole paradox is no one's actually received the gift of life before they've died. I want you to look at the way the Apostle Paul puts this in Romans chapter 12. I think it's gonna come up here on the screen. He says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. It's the same language that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Guys, when Paul says to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, the people of this time would have understood exactly what he was talking about. He says, you wanna worship God, crawl up on the altar. In these times, these people were used to seeing sacrifices put on the altar, killed, and then lit on fire, and that would go up to please God. But Paul said, we're done. Jesus has come. We're done with presenting sacrifices to God. But here is our spiritual worship. We crawl up on the altar. We light ourselves on fire and let everything burn away that is not of God. All of my sin, all of my perversion, all of my pride, we let that all burn away so that the only thing left is Christ in us. We die to ourselves. When we follow Jesus, we follow him to the end. And Jesus went and he died for us. We go and we die to our sin. We die to our selfishness. And this is why people 
oftentimes don't grow in the likeness of Jesus, that we're all about church attendance, but when it actually comes to spiritual maturity in living like Jesus, walking like Jesus, loving like Jesus, this takes death, and people don't wanna die because it's uncomfortable. It's painful at times because we're laying down our sin, we're laying down our ways for the ways of Jesus. But this is what a becomer is all about. We get in his word and we hear from him. We get in community and we live life together. And then when he highlights those areas in our life that are not like Jesus, we crawl up on the altar and ask God to help burn it away. This is the life of a becomer. Guys, let's be that type of church for the glory of God, for the joy and contentment of our lives and the good of Madison. Let me pray. Father, I I love you. Jesus, I thank you for your life, your death, your resurrection, for coming to me when I was running away from you, for saving my life, for changing my life, and God, I just ask that you would just empower me to keep dying to myself. God, would you help us to be a church filled with worshipers? that we would love you first and foremost before anything and everything. And out of that love and that grace that we experience from you, that it would just transform our lives. That we would be people that would love your word to us in the Bible. That we would listen, but we wouldn't just listen and nod our heads, but we would listen and follow you for your glory and the good of the world. God, I pray that this church family would not just be like an entertaining service, but God, would you grow us to be a family, friends. Would you help us to have gospel community, gospel friends? And help us not to be like fake people that play religion, but just people that love you and just wanna be close to you so that we just lay down our sin, we confess our sin, God, we love you. Help us to be a church filled with people that are like Jesus. pray this in your name. Amen. Let's stand as we respond.